0: Welcome to another episode of Propcast, a property podcast that aims to educate, inspire, and engage property investors. We are your hosts, Dami Shionbala and Bimbala Osaige. Hey Bimbala.
1: Hey, what up, man? How's it going?
0: It's going alright. How are
1: you? <laughs> <laughs> it's going right. I've been good. I've been busy, but I love being busy. For the most part, I love being busy. So I've been busy on my deals. Oh, and guess what? I've got yet another offer. You
0: <laughs> of the offers, you're just stacking them up. I'm stacking just
1: stacking them up. up. I'm just stacking up <laughs> the offers. <laughs> I, I remember when I was trained, when I was going through my training, I remember my trainers, a lot of the trainers would say, look, you want to get as many offers on the table as is possible. Don't ever get scared of placing offers. Just go around placing offers. Of course, so most of these offers will be rejected because if you're looking to buy below market value, you might be looked as coming up with ridiculous offers. But you know, when they do say yes, then you're the winner. So I think I always remember that if I see something that I like, I go straight ahead and put the offer in, and then sit back. So of course, in the last week, I've had two offers rejected, but I've nice. got one accepted. So I'm I'm really happy about this one. Although one of the ones that I got rejected, I'm still looking now actually because. I thought it was a, an offer you can't refuse, <laughs> but the, oh, the, <laughs> the vendor has refused my offer. So I'm hoping that maybe they will change their mind. But anyway, as of today, I had one offer, another offer that I'm quite excited about. So yeah, it's been busy on my end. Good, 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 good. What about good. you? Where is it going?
0: Yeah, same, same. Yeah, I've got two offers on the rent to rent side. That, Ooh. You know,
1: well done. I've
0: been accepted, working on, and trying to get to a place where they are all fully talented. So that's keeping me busy at the moment. Another few to go, and then we've reached our first goal. So yeah, it's pretty busy also, but good busy, not just busy for being busy sake.
1: That's beautiful. I think one of our episodes, we're going to talk a little bit more about rent to rent, how to get those deals, and what's worked and what hasn't worked. So you guys stay tuned. We would definitely be talking about that. But actually today, we thought it would be good to look at some of the strategies when it comes to properties. I know that we so some of our previous episodes, we may have talked about a couple of those. Um, but I think today it would be good to just put it all together, and give you a quick summary of what each one is. We probably wouldn't be able to cover everything, but we'll try our best <coughs> to do as many as we can on today's episode. So over to you, Dami. Do you want to get us started?
0: Yeah. As you said, Bimbala, there's so many different strategies and we'll cover a few in this episode. And uh, of course, if you want to know more, we do offer training and and so on and so forth. So you can come and speak to us. But for now, let's cover the ones we're going to cover today. So the first one is um, you can buy a property and you can do what's called a single let. Um, a single let is just where you rent it to an individual or a family, but it's all done under one contract. Okay, so mm-hmm. whether it's a five-bedroom house or a, a two-bedroom house or a one-bedroom house, you have a single contract with the tenants in that property. Um, so typically, it could be a family, it could be a single person, depending on the size of the house. You have one contract. You have one rent coming in every month and that's a single let. So typically this is a very, I would say conservative. Mm -hmm. A lot of people would, for example, if you go north, you'd buy a property which maybe costs you anything between say fifty to two hundred thousand pounds. You'll typically have a family or an individual in your property giving you rent every month giving you some form of cash flow after all the bills are taken away. And you're typically looking at around, nowadays, anything between, I would say, 6 to 12% yield on a single let. Now, if you're doing 12%, you're doing really, really well.
1: I <laughs> no, was just going to say You're
0: doing really, really well on a single let property. You know, if you're only renting it to one individual in a particular area, you're only able to generate so much demand. So, or so you, you're only able to command so much rent, regardless of how beautiful or how nice the property is. So yeah, I would say for single-let properties, you're looking typical yield to be between 6 to 12%. 12% you're doing really well. You're doing really, 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 really well. And um, to be honest, I think it's quite difficult now to even do that. Um, yeah. So to average now you're probably looking... Anything between seven to eight percent,
1: yeah, uh, Yeah. on
0: on a single let. So, so yeah, that's that's the single let. Simply you purchase a property and you have one contract, um, which is assigned to the person who's living in it, and you get your monthly payment from that individual. That's it.
1: Just wanted to say that most people start off with that. So, even the accidental landlords, you live in a property, you decide that you want to move to a bigger house or bigger school district, you rent out your from a house to a family and that's it right there, single-led. So a lot of people start in the single-led space is the least risky of all in terms of how you go about it, what you need, and so on and so forth. And it's quite easy to get into. So I'm gonna go into the next one, which is a little bit more than the single led. I started with single led as well. But the day that I discovered this second strategy, which is the HMO house in multiple occupation. I literally decided I was done with single lets. And now I'm focused on HMO. So I'll I'll tell you quickly about HMO and why. This is actually one of my favorite ones, actually. So house in multiple occupation, as it's called, the simple English for it is room by room let. And a lot of people are familiar with this because at some point in most people's life, there would have been a tenant in such an arrangement. So for example, Back in the days, for those that are listening, the older ones, when you were at university, um, when you leave home to go into uni and then you stay in a student accommodation where you have your own room, sometimes you have your own bathroom where you share a kitchen with other people, other students, or you have your own room and you share a bathroom and kitchen with other students, um, that setting or that setup is a house in multiple occupation. So it's basically a big house. It's typically a big house. That where each room is rented out to an individual or to a well, individual, but they're known as a household, such that each person has their own separate contract. Or in some cases, if it's a house with students, you might actually be on the same contract, but it's multiple people on one contract. Uh, and typically, you share something. So you're either sharing a bathroom or you're sharing a kitchen or both. And that is quite common and it's quite normal, actually. And it it serves its need as well. So you will find a lot of HMOs in areas where you have universities, just by sheer volume of the fact that most students cannot realistically afford their own place on their own. It makes no sense for a student to live in a big, massive house when they can just have a room. Or in fact, sometimes students would rent a big house and then sublet it to their mates. Obviously, that's not encouraging that, but it's literally to show you how these things are done if you are in an area that has a lot of industry workers, again, a HMO would be quite nicely relevant in those areas where you have people that are coming to work and maybe perhaps they're working away from home and they need to be somewhere Monday to Friday, or they work working contracts that takes them away from home and they just want a smaller place, the way they can share with other people. Or if you are in places closer to hospitals, like teaching hospitals, where you have a lot of Doctors in training, nurses in training, locums and all that stuff. Um, a lot of those people really have no need to find themselves in big, massive, self-contained accommodation. So they're willing to share with other people of similar mindset. Um, or if you're a young professional, you're starting your new job. You're you started your career. You're at the very beginning of your career. Perhaps you're the management contract, and you you know you have lots of friends in similar position. You might come together and rent a place. And just have a room and everyone shares a common area. So there's so many need out there, so many clientele out there that makes this market a very viable and a very successful one. Now, what the advantage of an HMO as opposed to a family led is even though family led is one contract and one payment, right? One rental payment, with the HMO, you have multiple payments. So if I have a house and I've divided it up into five bedrooms and I have five separate tenants in there, I receive five rents now in terms of the profitability of this um obviously five rents compared to one rent is obviously that you know goes without saying you're gonna you know make a lot more money it obviously has its own challenges because now you're dealing with five separate people um however if you're happy to it's like a risk and rewards analysis that you do do i want more money and some hassle or do i want no hassle and one payment even though it is profitable It's highly regulated as well. And I think I need to mention that. So one of the reasons why it's highly regulated as well is where in a HMO, you've got multiple households coming or living together. Things like fire safety is very important. Standard it's got to be a good living amendment standard. The government doesn't want you to cramp people up into a property just because you want to get several lots of rent payments. You've got to make sure you're providing the right standard for people to live and enjoy a space um there's going to be you know sufficient fire safety it is highly regulated and i can't cover that on this podcast but that's the one thing to bear in mind so it's not just about making this huge amount of money it's very highly regulated you, you know in some cases you actually even need to be licensed in some cases you might have to apply for planning permission to even do it um but it's very profitable very very profitable um just look at it as you know room by room let as opposed to a whole house to one family so that's as much as I want to talk about for HMO. There's a lot to delve into, and we can always take this off this podcast. And um, the other one that I would like to string along this is service accommodation. Now that's gaining a lot of popularity, and for those that don't know this business, at least they know of heard or have heard of Airbnb. So most people say, "Oh, Airbnb, Airbnb." But well, actually, the, the the strategy is not Airbnb. Airbnb is just a platform, but basically, it is where you take your property. Um, rather than have it as a single let to one family that pays you every month, or rather than having it into rooms where people pay you room by room, you actually decide you can either rent out the entire house by itself or individual rooms, but you're bringing in people that will pay you per night for staying in your property. So to be fair, um, and for the benefit of our listeners, this is kind of a cross between hospitality business and property business so it's like a it's, a it's like a hybrid of both um but it's worth mentioning shortlet accommodation service accommodation is another way to which you can use your property to make you a bit more money than you would if you were just living and renting it out to one household again we can't go too much into this we're happy to take this off the podcast but that's something else to bear in mind i'll pass over to you dammy
0: moving over into the next strategy then. We have commercial conversions. Now, this is quite topical at the moment because Boris and his team have recently announced new changes to the planning sector. So typically what you have is um, each building or each property has a use class. So an office, for example, might be a use class of say B1, B2 or A1. A house might have a use class of, I think, is, is it C3?
1: Yeah, C3 is residential. Yes, C3.
0: Yeah. So what Boris and his team have done is they've combined quite a lot of the use classes. Mm-hmm. They've brought them into this new E class, meaning you can take, for example, an office, you could take a, a community centre, you can take a previous church building, you can take a previous doctor's surgery, um, you can take a warehouse, and you can now turn them into um, a residential property. So when we talk about commercial, we typically talk about commercial conversions um, where we are turning commercial units into residential units. And again, the reason why, you know, someone wants to do this is because it, it's, it's probably a little bit more complicated than the first two that we mentioned. But then the potential money you can make on these is a lot more than your typical, say, HMO or doing just a single let. It does involve a lot more. You know, you've got to do uh, a lot more in terms of, you know, health and safety. You need a lot more people on site. You need a proper team to be able to take a commercial unit and convert it into
1: residential. So, yeah, from a commercial conversion perspective, you could be
0: looking at things like maybe a formal bank building. You can be looking at a formal office. You could be looking at, Uh, doctor's surgery for example any of these sorts of units which weren't used for residential units before they were used in some kind of commercial aspect you can take them you can convert them and you know what we're seeing now is a lot of high quality conversions that people are doing I have a friend the sole reason he's getting into commercial conversions is because he wants to have the space to be able to create a co-living area with lots and lots of space. So he wants to put cinema units, he wants to put co-working spaces. So with commercial conversions, you have the scope to do that because you have a much bigger space than let's say if you bought a typical three to four bedroom house and then you convert that into maybe like a six bedroom house of multiple occupation. You're limited by the space constraint of that house. Now you might extend it, you know, you might um, do something creative to get the six rooms, but in effect, you're still limited to to that space. Whereas with a commercial conversion, you think of a huge office block, right? You think of the amount of space you have in there. Now, someone might say, well, yeah, we want to use the space as much as possible to get as many rooms as possible. But actually, sometimes using the space creatively and providing all these different amenities will allow you to cash flow even more than, say, just banging in loads of uh, rooms and, you know, everyone is cramped into, into the space. So so that's commercial conversions in a nutshell. It's not for the faint-hearted, I would say.
1: <laughs> I think you know,
0: it's, a lot, more it's I a
1: lot more complex. It is.
0: It needs a lot more cash flow, more cash in terms of, you know, getting the project done. So where say single-let properties, you might be able to do it in, uh, I don't know, let's say a month or two. Let's say HMO might take you six months. Commercial conversions, you could be looking anything beyond six months mm. to, to 18 months. So you can see like what we've done is we've taken you through, okay, the simplest of, mm-hmm. let's <laughs> say medium. But commercial conversion is like, okay, that's the next level. So we've been encouraged and we would also encourage that before you do that, start with the smaller scale stuff, move to the medium scale stuff. then. You know, if you're, if you have the appetite and you're ready, then you can move on to, say, commercial conversion. Dee, you were going to say something.
1: Yeah, I was just going, you said it's not for the faint-hearted. I was like, oh yeah, I remembered my very first commercial conversion. Oh Lord have mercy. It literally took everything out of me. I spent a lot of money, fought a lot, fought a lot as well, fought the builder. (laughs) You need to have the right team on board to the days. We had so you know, we had a couple of reiterations with our planning permission before we eventually got a, an approval, building regs. We kept going back and forth with them, just trying to understand why they need what they need to see. It was you know a lot of money, a lot of time. It took us, I think in the end, it took us a total from when like, we bought the property till when we did the refinance and was fully tenanted it took us about 18 months to almost two years <laughs> it was a lot however it's one of my most profitable properties now so it's definitely not for the faint-hearted but once you know what you're doing once you've got the right training then um, of course go for it
0: so in terms of the use classes you've got a1 a2 so a1 are shops a2 are financial and professional services places where they've been used for those services um, A3s are food and drinks, so mainly on the premises. B1s are your typical offices and light industrial um, units. D1s, which are typically places like um, community centres, churches, nurseries, and then D2. So maybe like gyms, recreation areas, child play areas, and all of those bits and pieces. Those are now all being combined into this one single-use class, which is the E class. Not the Mercedes Benz,
1: but the uh, The Boris Benz.
0: (laughs) Which is going to create massive opportunities. It's the early adopters that will benefit from taking advantage of this. So,
1: especially with commercial, with right now, the businesses are struggling to stay on the high street, struggling to stay afloat because of the COVID, you know. So, there are going to be a lot of opportunities saying that it sounds like taking advantage of the situation. But hey, that's life, right?
0: One of the towns close to me had a Debenhams who Lord knows how much they invested, but they had this big unit that they developed. They've closed that store down. And Lewis, probably one of the biggest stores in the Intu Centre that um, I'm sure you've all heard of Intu, they shut their doors down. You know, the actual Intu Centre, so the ones who are managing, you know, these massive retail units... Lots of things are happening out there, um, which is not positive, but it means that there are opportunities that people can take advantage of. And I'm sure these units at some point will probably start being looked to turn into residential. So, Yeah. yeah, opportunities are there.
1: So the next one is what you call the BRR. Strategy. So B stands for buy, R stands for refurbish, and the other R stands for refinance. So this is typically where you pick up a property that needs a lot of work or that needs some work, but it works enough such that you can bring it up to its value, to its market value. So this is typically where you buy a property below the actual market value with enough in the deal to allow you to do the refurbishment on it. And then rather than sell it on, you get the banks to come back and revalue it. Um hopefully they give it what should be the current market value. And depending on how good you've made it, you might even get slightly high. Um and then you're able to refinance and get a mortgage, a proper mortgage on it. These are typical when you buy from auctions or buy a property that actually needs that are not mortgageable. So a lot of us would have seen, you, you go on the on the portal, you find a property that needs updating, you find a property that looks like the last time anybody did any work to it was in the 70s or in the 60s or 80s, or you find a property where it's just a mess, like it's just a mess. It could do with a new kitchen, with a new bathroom, new plastering and so on and so forth. And you can find those on the online portals, you can find them at auctions, you can even find them just walking down your street, looking at properties that look like they could no one's lived here, knock on the door, find out who owns it, see if they're looking to sell. Look, I'm giving some trade secrets out right now. Yes, you've literally looked to buy this property. Again, like I said, the important thing is you're buying it below the market value so that you have enough money to do it up. So you do it up? you refurbish it, you get your builders in, your electrician, your plumbers, your plasterers and all the team. They come in, do the work and then you get your broker to then speak to your bank or any finance company to send in their valuers to value it higher than what you paid for. And depending on the kind of mortgage you're able to get, you then are able to pull out a lot, if not all of the money that you've spent on it. Depending on how good the deal is, you might be able to pull out every single penny spent. Um, Obviously, if it's not as juicy and it's quite difficult, or should I say challenging, not difficult, slightly challenging in this day and age to find a lot of this way below market value deals because you know right now it's a seller's market. So even the messy houses are being sold (laughs) higher than it should go for under typical circumstances. The idea is that you buy the property, spend to refurbish it, refinance it and pull um the money out. And then you actually have the opportunity to then take that money and do it again somewhere else. And this is one of the strategies that if you have a pot of money to start with, you can actually Get a few deals under your belt just with the exact same pot of money, so it's fantastic. A lot of investors like doing this. Um, if I one of my clients that I'm, I'm working with, they reached out and said, "Look, I've got this pot of money, and I'd like to buy a house." And to be fair, I think they, in their head, they're thinking, "Well, we we'll just buy the one house, and we're good." Or possible, we might get two houses, and we're good. But then you know, just talking to them about the strategy has enabled them now. You know, we're looking at the opportunity or the possibility of buying maybe four, um, depending on how quickly we can get through the the process of refurbishing and refinancing. It's quite a good one. Again, you also need to know, just like with any of the strategies, you need to know what you're doing. You need to buy at the right price. You need to get the right team on board because one mistake with any of these could literally cause you to fail in the strategy. If you don't have the right team or you have a team that spent too much time so let's say your building team are supposed to be there for like three months maximum and they're there for like six months. That's three extra months that's costing you money. By the time you're ready to refinance, the market may have changed. The banking requirements may have gone differently. Or if you buy and you don't buy at the right price and then you spend money on it, you might not be able to get the valuation that you're looking for. So there's so many um, things that could go wrong with this strategy. But if it's done right, you could be a winner. So that's it for that strategy sorry buy refurbish refinance
0: that's a good strategy because it really allows you to recycle that money the only thing is that it's almost like the holy grail of investing i think i find now that um banks want you to have some skin in the game would you agree with that bimbala
1: well yeah definitely well when we're talking about the refinance aspect of it you definitely still need to have at least 25% of your money in the deal. So, what tends to happen is if you buy at a really fantastic price and spend not as much on it, it might be that once it's revalued, that 25% might actually be as a result of the extra value. And that's where you're able to generate, take all of your money out and still have 25% equity in it. But obviously, if it's not up to that amount, then it might mean that some of your money is in that 25%. Yeah,
0: exactly a fantastic strategy and if you're able to find these deals
1: send them it. my way <laughs>
0: <laughs> but like i said send them my way keep them
1: <laughs> they don't come along very often so mm. the next strategy we want to talk about is
0: land development so what some people do is they scour the uk um, they look for land mm. uh, they look for maybe properties with some land on the side they look for properties with maybe a a garage on the side, you know, lots of different ways that you can actually purchase land, maybe even properties with a big garden. And I think on the next one, you're going to talk about title split. So you'll touch on how you can take a property with a massive garden and how you can actually generate value from that. So there are lots of fields and acres of fields out there that farmers are looking to sell. Of course, you can't just go and buy a field anywhere. You need to do your deepest. <laughs> <information laughs> you, you might
1: can... just end up with a field. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you might just end up with a field. Yeah, maybe you can put some cows and horses on it and that's about it. But unless you're really looking to be a farmer, um, I'm not a <laughs> developer. you might want to really reconsider that. But no, you know, fields, even just like plots of land where nothing's going on there, people are selling. Much like commercial conversions. Um, You've got to do your due diligence to ensure that, you know, you're able to get planning. um, Mm. And that's the most important thing, that you're able to get planning um, in order to be able to build on that piece of land. Um, So what a lot of people do is they'll make an offer and that offer is, is subject to planning. And that's very important because what it means is if your offer is accepted for this piece of land and you apply for planning, If the planning is rejected, then you are not legally tied to buy that piece of land. When you made the offer, you said, look, I'm only going to buy this if I get the planning required. Because if you go and buy that land just outright, and then, like we said, you don't get the planning, then you're just stuck with a piece of land which you can't do anything with. And people have these situations. They buy um, because they've speculated, they thought that we're going to be able to build two, three, four, five units of properties on this piece of land. And because of planning, which can traditionally be a nightmare, they haven't received the planning and they're just stuck with land and they can't do anything with it. So land development, again, it's quite cash intensive, um, but then it's also got greater rewards again, because if you buy a piece of land for a few thousand pounds, um, you're able to build on it typically cheaper than you're able to purchase a property. And then, you know, let's say you build two, three, four, five units of property on a piece of land, then you can do the maths. Or maybe you buy a house with a garden. Um, So you've bought that house for, let's say, £200,000. You've now built on the garden. So now you've got another house that you can sell on for another £200,000. So take away your build costs and you've probably got quite a healthy profit there. So... Land development is also another strategy that people use. Um, But again, like Bimbala said, make sure you have the right education, make sure you have the right team, make sure you have the right people around you in order to be able to facilitate.
1: That is so key. The main thing really with this strategy is the planning. That planning is so important. Unless you're looking to just be a land (laughs) owner, a field owner, you definitely want to. Make sure that you've got planning on your side.
0: Maybe, you know, if you have a desire to have chickens and
1: <laughs> exactly
0: <whatnot. laughs> you can just go and buy it.
1: You can just go and do that. <laughs> you know, I said earlier at the beginning of the podcast that uh, one of the offers that I put in was rejected. So this was one of those, actually. I saw this massive property, but it has a big, massive garden as well. And the whole idea that I was thinking uh, when I went to view is, is this something that I can build another dwelling on the garden? Like the garden is massive, like it's big enough to have another dwelling on it. Mm-hmm. And so I was looking at, can I put in another dwelling in that space, as well as convert the existing house into flats? So I did put in an offer on the condition of planning permission approval, although they rejected it, but um, that's kind of the way that you go about it, where you offer and with a condition that, You're going to only do this once you've received approval. That's with an existing property with garden space. Um, I've also had a situation where I was actually about to buy a piece of land that I'd already received planning permission approval. Um, So when you do so, sometimes you might have one of those where you don't have to go get the planning because the vendor has already done that and you're just taking it on to build on it. What you do want to be aware of in such situation is that you look at what the conditions of the planning that has already been approved, you make sure that you know exactly what it entails, you know exactly what the local authority are asking the developer to do, because in there lies in everything that could potentially go wrong. So it's not just a case of, okay, I found this piece of land, I'm just going to build on it. You want to be aware of all the costs that it entails. Some of the things that you wouldn't obviously find on planning would be, um, or you may actually, is things like utilities. It's not just as easy as, okay, well, we're just going to have electricity. Sometimes if you're buying a piece of land, depending on how far or close away it is to existing dwelling places, you have to pay a huge amount of money to get electric, to get water, to get gas. It's definitely not for the faint hearted. It's definitely not for beginners, but it's obviously very profitable. Uh, once you get it right. It's one of those deals that one land development deal can literally set you for life, (laughs) but it's got to be the right one. (laughs) So that's what I'm looking for. I just want the one deal, just the one deal.
0: The other thing Um, on that as well is, if you are looking for, or if you do see something that has planning, check how long is left, because sometimes Mm -hmm. someone can apply for planning and typically when you get planning, you have a number of years to execute yeah. on that plan. Otherwise, it, it lapses and expires. Yeah. So you also need to check how long. So, for example, maybe there's only one year left. You know, hmm. Are you able to do that development in that
1: next in year? That year?
0: You then have to go back to apply for planning again for, for that particular property. Yeah. Um, so also just something to look out for.
1: Yeah, excellent point, actually.
0: are doable. People are doing them. We're just emphasizing, you know, do you get the right education? Do you get people around you who are already doing it? Because, you know, some people like to learn from mistakes, but mistakes are quite costly. That's all we're just uh, employing you to do. Don't, um, yeah, learn from others who have done it before.
1: Well done. Well said. Okay, I'll go on to the last one that we're going to look at on this week's podcast, and that is title split. Also, a way that you can add value to an existing property. So, let me go into the title split first. So, for those of you that that do know, or maybe you don't know, when you buy a house, typically it comes with a freehold. When you buy a flat or an apartment, it comes with a leasehold. So, you could find a house and then split the house into, let's say, two flats, in which case you then also need to split the title into two separate titles with a lease on both. In a way, it's also like a type of conversion where You are able to convert something that currently exists into something else. So, and it's typical for converting a house into flats where you can split the title. I've also had an instance where someone was looking to sell their house with a garden, but they wanted a chunk of that garden to keep for themselves. So you can also do a title split on that. So basically you split the title or the current title that has the house and the garden on it, and then take some of that off. And then retain the title for the bid that you want to keep. So it's literally, the title is a document that tells you the extent to which, that shows you the extent and the boundary of a property and the documentation that says you're legally entitled to own and do whatever you want with it. So literally, in effect, what you're saying is, I want to split this and give some a share of it to somebody else at a cost. So it's quite profitable, actually, if you can do it typical for flat conversions, but you can also be used on other things. And then looking at the second bit, which is the adding of value, this is one of my favorite actually. So adding value could literally be anything. It's literally you adding value. So when I talked about the BRL strategy, where when you're doing your refurbishment, you're adding value, but also there are other ways that you can add value. So you can have, so one of the ones that I've done recently was where I had a three bedroom townhouse with an, with an integrated garage. And I was able to add value to that property by turning or converting or asking the the local authority to give me the permission to turn my garage into a bedroom. So the garage, which was just a space that most people would just put their junk in, has now become a bedroom, a living space, and it's added value to that property. You could have situations where you find yourself a nice big flat. So it's usually like Imagine if you, one of those Victorian type house with high ceiling and really massive rooms and so on and so forth. So imagine a one bed flat. The living room is quite spacious. It's got a separate bedroom. It's got a separate kitchen. It's got a separate bathroom. You can actually, depending on how big the kitchen is and how big the living room is, you can actually turn the living room into an open plan living area. So if you can carve out a space in the living room to turn into your kitchen you can then take the existing kitchen and basically turn it into a bedroom so you literally you've taken a massive one bed flat and you've turned it into a two bed open plan living area flat so there's so many ways it's literally one of those things where you have to be very creative in how you can add value there's so many ways you can add value you can add value by if you have a you know a property again on a piece of land and it has a bit a lot of garden space You can do an extension if you're able. For most people, it's easy to get a single-story extension at the rear of their property. But in some places, you could even get a double-story. So single-story is just one floor, the ground floor. And then double is where you're able to extend even the top floor as well. You can easily turn a three-bedroom house into a five-bedroom house because you're able to extend it at the back, at the rear. In fact, I've got another personal example Someone very close to me, they bought a three-bed house a few years back, um, but the three-bed house had a garage and a massive garden, and they were able to go to planning, and they got the garage that was attached to the property converted into a room. They were able to build on top of the garage, so there they've got two separate rooms, and then they were able to extend it at the back and at the top, and literally, they went from a three-bedroom house to a seven-bedroom house. I kid you not. It's, it, you know Every time I see what they've done, it, it's amazing. But it's because they obviously they had a lot of land space to be able to do that. So you can, you've got to be creative about it. Um, I've got um, instances where I've bought a two bed house and I've turned into a three bed by literally moving the bathroom somewhere else, creating a bathroom somewhere else and turning the existing bathroom into a bedroom. You can turn your existing kitchen into a bedroom. With all of these different things, you have to definitely, sometimes you might need planning involvement. You All the time you're going to need building regs involvement because you need to be doing it to the right standard um but you know it's 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 exciting for me personally this is why i love properties so much like there's just no boring day you look at a property see like dami mean, you and i can go and do a viewing i can see a property and see a, a one bed becoming a two bed you can see yeah. a one bed that you can that you're thinking okay this is a great service accommodation i can see a yeah. massive house and i'm looking at them thinking well i could create six flats from this house you can look at the yeah. same house and think, Yo, this could be a great guest house. This could be a great HMO. So it is yeah. just like the possibilities are endless. I just love it. <laughs>
0: no, no. <laughs> You're definitely right there. Um, the, the possibilities are endless. And of course, these are by no means the only strategies there are. There are still, still so a many. whole and more of strategies that, that exist in property. But these just give you a flavor of what you can do. So yeah, and that's it for today. We just want to say thanks again for listening. If you found it useful, please do share. Make sure you follow us on our podcast so that whenever we release an episode, you're kept up to date and you can have it straight in your phone.
1: Thank you for suggesting we talk about this today. And I just wanted to encourage anyone that is listening. This is wealth of information on this podcast. Like these are the things that you would go and pay good money for. Um, obviously, we've not gone into the detail of it because that's a whole new ballgame. In fact, that is a training in it. So each one of this strategy could easily be a full day or two days training. But just giving you guys, just making you aware of what's possible. You know, it's it's amazing. You know, I'm basically bigging ourselves up. Basically, <laughs> we've done good today. We've done the good. <laughs> we've done good work on today's podcast. So well done to us for <laughs> doing this.
0: Until next time, everyone, have a great day wherever you are. Take care.
1: Okay. And this, if this is your first time on our podcast, please do subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. Um, and if you've been blessed by today's topic or you've taken something out of it, do not keep it to yourself. Share with your friends and family, your colleagues, and just share. Just send the link to the people that you think will need to hear this. And we will be back here next week. Bye-bye. Bye.